So I want to say happy Father's Day. Um, if I would have preached a Father's Day message, four things for you as fathers. Um, number one is this, reject passivity, okay? Real men, they, re- they reject passivity. Don't, don't, just, don't just think that, oh, I go off to my job and I, do, and I do my 40 hours or 50 hours a week at my job and then I can come home and just kind of coast. No, you're a dad. And, and you have a responsibility to your children. In fact, you have a responsibility to lead your family. So number one, man, I'm going to speak the hard word, reject passivity. And that is very difficult to do, but it's something that we need to do as fathers. Number two would be accept responsibility, okay? Don't just reject passivity. Do something. Accept responsibility. Take, take your role as a father as a husband, as the leader of your home, take that role seriously. Um, don't, don't relegate that to someone else or don't even relegate the spiritual responsibility to the church. Um, take responsibility. And I'm talking to myself as well here, so I'm not off the hook at all. Um, number three, lead courageously. Um, you're a man. <laughs> God made you a man. God made you to lead. He made you to be courageous. God made you that way for a purpose. And, that, and part of that purpose is, is to lead your family, men. And then the fourth thing would be this, to, to live for the greater reward. Live for something that is bigger than yourself. Live for something bigger than, than your money. Live for something bigger than your job. God has a transcendent work for you to do that's something much bigger than, than that is just defined by what you do at work and how much money you make and those kind of things. God wants us to live for his purposes, for his glory. And as men, as fathers, <laughs> part of that responsibility, that greater thing, is the way that you lead your families. So happy Father's Day. Uh, write that down. Think about it. That is the definition of what a real man is, and then it's a definition of what a father is. Do we do that perfectly as men? No. <laughs> no. We, we do it, and we humble ourselves because so often we fall short. But I want to encourage you, if you feel like, man, he's nailing me now, don't, don't walk out of here with your tail tucked between your legs, get up, fight again, Fight for what's right, for what you know to do, um, and, and, and in humility, lead your family, okay? Got it? Good. That's what this church is about. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to see in the men in our church. If you need a vision for what a man is, there it is. Let's lead courageously, men, okay? Amen. All right. On to, uh, on to the next, next thing. Um, so how many of you have... Uh, Maybe the, you've had the, you've had these this kind of story. That I think the overarching thing of this this message today is is that unbelief is not the end of the story. Um, if we if we read Romans chapter nine, and we thought, man, Israel, the hardening of Israel's hearts, the sovereignty of God. We threw out that uh, not everyone who's Israel is Israel. What, what's going to happen with Israel? Why is God, why is God against, so against Israel? And the truth of the matter is, is that I think Romans chapter 11 brings the whole argument into view. God is not 
against Israel. God has not forsaken Israel. God is for Israel. God is for the Jews. Unbelief is not the end of the story. And, and you may know, you may know this to be true in your own life. Uh, you, may have, you may be that person who fought God. Maybe your story is that you fought God and you said, I am not going to submit. I'm not going to bow my knee to God. There's no way I'm going to do that. I don't want to uh, adopt what my family maybe is doing. Um, I want to encourage, and, and maybe you're the ones then that found grace. You found the grace of God. And finally, you came back and you said, God, I'm sorry that I, that I persisted in unbelief and I persisted in disobedience and I persisted in, in stubbornness all this time in my life when I could have been enjoying the blessings of God. I could have been enjoying this faith that, that so many people are experiencing. Maybe that's your story. Um, or maybe it's, maybe it's um, have you gone to a class reunion? Okay, you grew up with this kid um, all through all through grade school, and you thought to yourself, "There is no way that this guy is ever going to get it." You ever grow? You grow up with people like that, and then you go you you go to this class reunion, you know, thirty, forty years later, and you meet this same person, and they're they're on fire for the Lord. Something's changed in their lives. Their their stubbornness, their unbelief. They met maybe someone who who knew the Lord and shared the gospel with them and shared the good news of God's grace. Maybe they saw it in, in some person's life and they decided, you know what? I, want what, I want what they have. And you receive the Lord Jesus and God changes um, your life. It's the story of the hairdresser that we shared a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the guy persisted in unbelief, persisted in stubbornness for years. He had people praying for him. Um, the one lady in particular who's sitting in his chair for the last 10 years, and uh, finally she, she just gives up and says, you know what? He comes in and says, I'm done praying for you. I'm done with this. And, um, and the guy says to her, you know what? Last night I came and received Jesus, so thank you for praying. I think that's the story that's happening God is not done with the Jews. Unbelief is not the end of the story for Israel. Um, and I think that's what we're going to see uh, this morning uh, as we look at this passage. This is, a difficult, this is a difficult passage of Scripture. I'll just be honest. I am, man, I rack my brains. I've asked for prayer. I'm like, oh, Lord, this is, these are hard things. I think that God has something for us in here. And so... Uh, we're going to get right at it. Romans chapter 11, uh, beginning with verse 11. And Paul begins with a question. He says, again, I ask. So he asked the question already once before. Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Um, Paul asked that question in verse 1, didn't he? I asked then, did God reject his people? Did they stumble so far? And, and Paul emphatically says in both verses, not at all. Not at all. There is no one who has stumbled so far to be beyond the grace of God. The grace of God overflows and it can reach the hardest heart. You may think that, that there's no way that this person is ever going to bow their knees to the Lord. And the grace of God is powerful and it reaches the hardest hearts. Uh, and now Paul is going to explain what, what God has been doing and the plans and the thoughts of God 
uh, through this, this hardening of Israel's heart. And so he goes on, he says, rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. And when we look at this, we see that God, God has a plan here in verse 11. And he's going to, this plan, this process is going to happen over and over in these next verses. He says, because of their transgression, um, because of the hardness of Israel's heart, because of their stubborn, unrepentant heart. What was, what was Israel's transgression? What was their sin? Unbelief. Paul described it at the end of Romans 10. He says, he says that all day long, I have held my hands out to a disobedient and an obstinate people. Talking about the Jews. All day long, God has been, been pouring out grace into their lives, pouring out his mercy. And all day long, they reject him. Stubborn, disobedient, obstinate people. Offered mercy, but most of them reject it. And you know people like that in your own life, don't you? People who are stubborn, obstinate, and, and stuck in unbelief. And because of their unbelief, God says, you know what? I'm going to put you aside for a while. And I'm going to pursue the Gentiles. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. They stumbled over Jesus. Their, their transgression was that they, they rejected the Messiah. Jesus told the parable, didn't he? The parable of the wedding banquet. Um, he alluded to this in that parable in that the king came and he sent his son out into his kingdom to invite people to this great wedding feast. And so the son, the king's son goes out and he, and he invites all the people who were supposed to be the wedding guests, who were invited to the wedding. But guess what? The invited guests, they, they refused to come. The cousins didn't want to come to the wedding. Oh, we kind of have this issue and with family, so we're not coming to that wedding. Um, the others, oh, you know what? I'm too busy for that. I'm too busy working over here in this field. I don't have time to come to that wedding. Some of them, the son goes out and, and, and he's abused. He's hurt. They like, get away from me. I don't want anything to do with that wedding. And so the son goes back to the father and the father says, you know what? Fine. If the invited guests won't come, go out into the street corners. Invite anyone who will come to this great wedding banquet. And so the son king's son went out to the street corners where good and bad people were invited in to this wedding. What is he talking about in that parable? He's talking about exactly what's happening here and that God has, God has invited the Jews into this great wedding feast. Theirs is the patriarchs. Theirs are the promises of God. And they refused the invitation. They refused to come. And so God said, you know what? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go invite anyone who will come. And so through their transgression, he goes on to say that salvation has come to the Gentiles. Um, the Gentiles, because Israel hardened their heart, the Gentiles were brought in. Here's just a side thought. So let's say that the Jews did receive the message of the gospel do you think us as Gentiles, would we have not been included in that invitation to this great wedding feast that's going to come at the end of time? 
Oh, we would have been invited. We would have come. But guess who would have told us? The Jews. They would have come to us. They would have come to us as missionaries and, and shared the gospel and shared the good news of Jesus with us. It's not how God did it. Their hearts were hardened and the Gentiles were brought in. Grace, because of their rejection, grace overflows to the, to the rest of the world. I want you to see this and see exactly where this happened. There is a, turn to Acts chapter 18. It's, it's back just before Romans. Acts chapter 18. Paul, Paul loves the Jews. He loves his, his Jewish brothers and sisters. He prays for them. He's preaching passionately to them. And it says in, in Acts chapter 18, in verse 4, every Sabbath, Paul goes into the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. You ever done that? Just preached and preached and preached and testified to maybe someone that you love that's just stuck in unbelief? Verse 6 says, but when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, there are many times where Paul was beaten and driven out of the city and out of the synagogue. He shook, the, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Right there, Paul, is, that's, the, that's what this passage is talking about. And so, rather, because of their transgression, because of their rejection of the Messiah, because they didn't want to believe in Jesus, salvation comes to the Gentiles. Why? Why does, God, why does God's plan to bring the Gentiles in? In that next verse, it's in that next phrase, it says that to make Israel envious. God is going to, to lavish his love. He's going to lavish his grace his mercy, his kindness on people who never even loved God, who never had all the commandments, who never, they're heathen, <laughs> messed up, nasty, dirty people. God's going to lavish his grace on them and invite them into this wedding banquet. And they come. They receive the Lord. They receive the invitation. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Why? So that Israel would become jealous. God's plan in bringing the Gentiles in would be to provoke Israel to jealousy. So that their hearts would be softened. So that they would receive Jesus and the grace. And when we think about that word jealousy, to make Israel jealous, we think, we might think of, um, you know, a limited quantity. Like, you have something that I want, but I can't, ha like, I can't have it. And so I'm jealous that you have that, and so I'm going to try to take that away from you. This is a different kind of, of jealousy. Um, it's an awakening of a desire. I really wanted to relate this to junior high relationships. But then I realized that that would break down so bad. You know, junior high jealousy, right? Um, how does that work? Um, so I, I've told this story before. So I'm dating Kara in eighth grade. You know, and Kara decides that uh, I'm not good enough. And so she wants to date a senior, Mark Regeer. And so she chases after this senior and provokes me to jealousy. 
to the point that uh, I was going to do anything that I could to, to have her back. I really wanted Kara. And uh, to the point that I even thought of doing nasty things to Mark Regeer, who was a, a captain of the football team, and here I am, a little <laughs> puny guy in junior high. Like, I could really do anything uh, to Mark Regeer. But my heart was, I couldn't have that. This is different. This jealousy, this is, uh, God is uh, God's love is, is something that's, that we can all have, right? That we can all have. Grace is something that's not, it's not in a limited quantity, as if only some people can have grace and others can't have grace. And so I'm jealous because I can't have grace because you have grace. No, the grace of God overflows to all mankind. There's plenty of grace in the Lord for all. And so God is using the grace that the Gentiles are experiencing to provoke Israel to jealousy. Jews would have never imagined that the Gentiles would be blessed richly by God. They could have never imagined it. Their view of the Gentiles is that they were dirty, filthy, rotten, pagan sinners. <laughs> we need to be careful that we would not develop that attitude because that's what all of us were at one point or another, right? When the Lord finds us, we're all dirty, rotten, filthy sinners. There is nothing good in us apart from Christ in us. And by his grace and his mercy, he saves us. He brings us in as Gentiles. All of my sin, he brings me in by grace. And, and that's the way that Israel will be brought in as well, by the grace of God. And God would awaken their desire. And this theme happens then, this process of, of the rejection by, by Israel, the Gentiles being brought in, Israel becoming jealous. This is something that he says over and over in these verses. Look at verse 12. But again, but if their transgression, their rejection of the Messiah, Messiah means riches for the world, means that the Gentiles are included in the riches of God, how much greater will their fullness bring? How much greater will, will God be and his grace be when the Israelites come to repentance and come to faith, faith in the Lord? Can you imagine what that would be like if the failure of the Jews brought riches to the Gentiles? How much more would the fullness of Israel being brought in? Imagine the blessing that will come when the Jews embrace Jesus as the Messiah. There's a day coming when the Jews will embrace Jesus wholeheartedly as their Messiah, as, it, as it's outlined in this passage. And again then, in verse 13, I'm talking to you Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in hope that somehow I may arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. Again, we see it again. Hardened hearts of Israel... Gentiles being lavished with the grace of God, the overflow of the grace of God on the Gentiles so that Israel would become jealous and so that some might come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the Jews may be spiritually dead now, um, but, but their dry bones can come to life. Look at verse 15. For if their rejection 
is the reconciliation of the world that you and I would be reconciled, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? God can bring Israel to life again through grace, by faith, the same way that all of us come to God on God's terms, not on, our, not on ours. And so pardoning is not the end of the story. And grace has a way of doing that, doesn't it? You've seen the overflow of grace in someone else's life? Grace has a way of melting, melting masks. Grace can reach the hardest heart. And oftentimes, grace is received when we see it in someone else and our hearts are provoked to jealousy and we want what they have. Is that true? Is that true in any of your stories? Where God says, man, I, I want that. Paul's then going to shift, and he's going to use two metaphors to describe what God is doing through Israel's unbelief. Two metaphors here. In verse, in verse 16, it says, If part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And so, to understand Paul's argument in these next verses, um, we need to keep in mind that Paul is addressing the Gentiles. He's going to warn them against becoming prideful. Um, because apparently something's happening in the Gentiles to where they're, they're kind of looking at the Jews and saying, well, you guys are stuck in unbelief. Look at us. We have the grace of God. We have Paul as our apostle. Look at that. Take that. You know, you thought all these years you oppressed us and you thought we were the dirty, rotten, filthy people. Well, look at us now. We're the ones that God's lavishing his grace upon. And, and Paul's going to warn us, do not have that attitude. You are one body. And you are being grafted into a tree, a root system. You're being grafted into the promises of Abraham. And don't ever think that it's about you. Don't ever think that you've arrived. And so he uses first fruits and roots to talk about this. He says the dough offered is first fruits. Now, this is a reference back to the Jewish system of worship. Um, first fruits, when you, when you would take in a harvest, you would offer the whole harvest, you would dedicate it to God by offering the first fruits of the harvest. And so you would offer a portion of the harvest um, as first fruits, but that didn't mean that the whole, the whole of it wasn't dedicated to God. Maybe think of it this way. Many of you, many of you offered the first fruits of what you, of what you make to, to, to the ministry of the church. But that doesn't mean that the rest of your finances are not dedicated to the Lord, that the rest of your finances are not holy, and that God doesn't want us to steward the rest of those, those, those finances in, in the same for God's purposes. First fruits. Just as the first fruits were offered as holy, the whole harvest, the whole dough is holy. That beginning that happened with the patriarchs, as they were holy, so the rest of, of, 
Israel is holy. What does holy mean? It means to be set apart. It means to belong to God. It means to be devoted to God. So just as at the beginning, and, may, and we'll, it'll make more sense when we talk about roots, just as, as the beginning was, ho- was devoted to God and holy, so the whole d- lump, the whole dough is devoted and holy before the Lord. Israel hasn't lost its devoted to God status, if you will. God's heart is still for his people. God still loves his people, um, Israel. And then he uses the term roots. He says, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. And that root is to be understood. That, is, that root is, the, is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That root is the, is the patriarchs. And in Romans 9, 5, he said, theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ. If the root is holy and devoted, set apart, so are the branches, so is the rest of Israel. The promises and the blessings, they would, they would come through Israel. They would come through that root of the promise that God made to Abraham. They had those promises. And if the patriarchs were set apart for God and they had faith, so does the nation. God's not going to give up on the branches. Why? Because God made promises to Abraham and to his seed. And God does not give up on his promise. He does not fail in fulfilling his promises. So he describes this. He says it this way. He says, if if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. Don't boast over the fact that is- Israel has been hardened right now, that they're, they're partially experiencing this hardening. Don't boast over that. Don't boast that you have it and they don't. Do not boast over these branches. Verse 18, if you do, consider this. You do not support the root but the root supports you. (laughs) You're not, this isn't about you. This is about the the roots that have been been laid. This is about the promises of God. And by grace, God gave you these promises, Gentiles. He included you in Christ. You didn't earn the right to be grafted in. God did it by grace. Be careful that you don't fall into the same unbelief as Israel and think that somehow you earned this on your own merit. You could easily fall, right? You could easily fall into that unbelief. And he goes on and he says, you will say then branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. Why were they broken? Why were they separated? Because of their own choice, because of their own unbelief, because of their own transgression, not believing that Jesus was the Messiah, not embracing him as their Messiah and Lord. And you stand by faith. Israel, broken off because of their unbelief. The Gentiles, grafted in because they believed that righteousness came by faith in Jesus. And then he warns them, he says, and Do not be arrogant, 
but be afraid. For if God did not spare natural branches, he will not spare you either. Whoa, that's a tough, <laughs> that is a tough verse. I don't know that I really want to explain, <laughs> try to explain all of that. I'll, I'll say it this way. Be careful that you do not fall into unbelief. Be careful that you don't get ensnared in the same trap that Israel got ensnared in. Thinking that somehow my works and my righteousness are attaining my salvation. Because that's not true. You're saved by faith through grace. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Why? So that no one can boast. The only thing that you need to make your boast in is the Lord Jesus Christ. I will make my boast in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the grace of God. You are saved by grace and you must continue in grace. It's not about your works. It's not about your righteousness and it never will be. And don't fall into that same trap. Don't cut yourself off, so to speak, in, in unbelief and thinking that this is about you. As a church, we have to be careful in that. Not to become prideful in what we believe. It, it, these churches will be planted and they'll start off with these humble beginnings. They'll start off with the grace of God and the mercy of God and, and we're living totally by faith, not by sight and, and the grace of God. And then, and then churches will sort of develop and they'll say, man, we really got some things figured out here. We have this system now figured out and so now we do things this way and, and pretty soon if you're not careful, you stop looking at the head, Jesus Christ, and you start trusting in your systems. You start trusting in what you're doing and, and, and with the fact that you have this all figured out. And, that, and, and then that manifests itself in that, you know what? We have this figured out, but you guys over there, you don't have it figured out. We're better than you are. We, we know what we're doing here. There's an attitude that can creep in. And that's what he's saying to the Gentiles. Don't let that attitude creep in. You were saved by grace. You were saved by the mercy of God. Continue in that. And God is doing something beautiful here. He, in verse 22, then he says, Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell into unbelief, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And next verse. <laughs> yeah, next verse. <laughs> and if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. I'm going to focus on that. You can never fall too far that the Lord's mercy and his grace that he's done with you, that you no longer have an opportunity at grace. After all, if you were cut off of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? There's a beautiful picture here of, gra of grafting in. What is God doing here? And, uh, and God uses this, this idea of grafting in that, do you guys know much about grafting? I didn't know much about it at all until this week. It's kind of a neat thing. So, you can, did you know that you can create a tree that will, will have different kinds of 
different fruits on it. You guys know that? Have you ever, anybody ever grabbed? Gus has done some grafting, haven't you? And uh, it, it's kind of a concept where you find a really good root system. Um, say the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, be a good root system, the promises of God, the faithfulness of God. That, that root gets planted in the ground. It's got a real strong structure. And then you, can, you graft in the, the Gentiles into that. Kind of weak. They really need a strong root system. Pagan, don't really know God at all, need God. They get grafted in. And, and because of that nourishing sap that comes from that root, from Christ, they begin to grow and take off, and they begin to develop fruit. And they're producing these beautiful, red, juicy apples because of the grace of God, because the grace is flowing up through this. Hey, there it is. You, you did it. That doesn't mean that, uh, that the Jews have lost it. The Jews can easily be grafted back in, and they're producing this beautiful fruit. They're producing these beautiful yellow apples. And both are supported by the same root system. Maybe little, take a little bit different shape, different color, same root. And that's what God's doing. That's the mystery of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 6, he says, Paul says that this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, sharing that same root system, those same promises, being grafted into the same blessings that God has bestowed upon his people. Heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, one root system, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Sharers together in the promise. That's what God's doing. And that's what he's doing here. And God, it's not one or the other. God is going to bring these Jews back into this root system, back into these promises. God, is, God will keep his promises to Israel. And, he, and he's saying, continue to be humbled by the kindness of God, Gentiles. Continue to be humbled by grace. Don't think that that now we have it and they don't. No. God, God's love, God's grace is overflowing and it, and it will flow back to Israel. They will be provoked again to embrace Jesus as the Messiah. Ah, and then we get to <laughs> chapter, verse 25. I don't want you to be ignorant, speaking to the Gentiles of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Ooh, there we go. All right. So he goes back to his process again. Israel has, been, has experienced a partial hardening. Hearts have been hardened. So that the, the Gentiles can be included and there will be a full number of Gentiles that will, will come to faith in Christ. And then Israel will also come to faith. There will come a day when Israel will experience a great revival. And it says that all Israel will be saved. What does he mean there? Was it? Let me ask you this question to m maybe flesh this verse out. All Israel will be saved. What's the first thought that comes to your mind? When you, when you hear that. 
all of them, right? All the Jews, past, present, future, all of them are going to be are going to be saved. That's the first thing that, that that our minds go to when we when we read that verse. Let me ask you a question then: What does it mean to be saved? How is someone saved? Yes. Amen. We are saved by putting our faith in Jesus Christ when we experience the grace of God and we humble ourselves before him. That is how you're saved. What are you saved from? You're saved from sin. You're saved from the wrath of God that, that Romans 1 talks about. You're saved from God's wrath. And you're saved so that you can have joy in the Lord. So... How is someone saved? By faith in Jesus Christ. Now, do the Jews have another? Is there another plan for the Jews? No. Just say, say no. There, there's not another plan for the Jews. There, it's not like God has two tracks, one for, one for Israel where they all get to be saved and one for, the, one for the Gentiles where those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ would be saved. If that were true, Paul would have not, wouldn't have written the first eight chapters even nine chapters of Romans. He says there's no one righteous, not even one. No one works their way to salvation. There's not a separate track for the Jews and the Gentiles. We all come to faith through Jesus Christ. And in the same way, all of Israel will be saved. The ESV says it that way. So some would want to spiritualize that then, all Israel, by making it the church. So... Is all Israel, is he really talking about the Jews? Who's he talking about here? All Israel. Well, let's, maybe we'll spiritualize this. And we'll go back to chapter 9 and we'll say, when, when Paul says, well, n- not all of Israel is Israel, right? Israel is the ones, Jews, Gentiles, who received the promise of Abraham. That's who Israel is. And there are other places in Paul's writings where that would be true. But in chapter 11... He's consistently been separating Jew and Gentile in his argument. And so when he's talking about Israel here, he's talking about the nation of Israel. And so, does it mean that all Israel, Jews in every generation, will be saved? No. I mean, if that were true, why would Paul be in anguish in chapter 9? over his brothers who had all these promises, had all the blessings, but wouldn't believe and didn't receive the Messiah? Or why would Paul pray in chapter 10 fervently for some Jewish Jews to be saved? If the plan was that all Jews would be included in the end, why pray? Why be in anguish? I think it would be a mistake to say that Everyone who is a Jew will be saved. It would undermine everything that God has been saying in the gospel. Paul's been saying it's not about religious heritage. It's about faith in Christ. And so, what does it mean? I think it means this. In the same way, all of Israel, the same way that the Gentiles come to faith in Jesus Christ, All Gentiles come through Christ, so all Israelites come the same way through Christ by faith.
And I do believe this, that there will come a day, and I, we really don't know, but many speculate that there will come a day at the second coming when everyone will see the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll be riding on a white horse, the clouds are going to be open, and he's going to be riding in in all of his glory, and the saints are going to be gathered with him. And at that point, something is going to happen in Israel. There is going to be a, an awakening that will take place. And maybe it means that, that at that time, at that age, all of Israel will see the Messiah and they will embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And, and so that generation will come to faith and be saved. And maybe there's a massive revival that takes place. Man, we don't, we don't know all of that. We do know that God keeps his covenant promises. And, and then he goes on here. He says, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He's referencing back to Jeremiah 31, saying that I'm going to put my law in their hearts. I'm going to set eternity. I, I'm going to put my favor on them, and I'm going to take away their sins. God promised that to the nation of Israel, and God will keep his promises. How he does it, I don't know. Here's what I do know. In every generation, there are Jews who, individual Jews who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. God has not rejected his people. Paul calls them the elect, and, and we see those as, as Messianic Jews. Today, it's estimated that there are 350,000 Messianic Jews in the world. 350,000. And these numbers of Messianic Jews are growing all the time. Messianic Jews are those who would see Jesus as, as their Messiah and yet continue in the practices that, of Judaism. They would see Jesus as their Messiah. Messianic synagogues um, are popular. Recent estimates number more than 200 congregations in this country. Um, and there are many Messianic congregations in Israel and around the world. And so God is, has not forgotten his people. God is faithful to keep his covenant promises. But maybe all of Israel, at that time, there's going to be a great revival that will take place, and many will embrace Jesus, and all, maybe, will, will embrace Jesus as their Messiah. Um, I don't know. Um, he goes on then, and he says, as far as the gospel is concerned... They're enemies on your account. The gospel, they rejected Jesus. But as far as election is concerned, don't factor out God's sovereignty and election. They are loved on account of the patriarchs. They are loved because God promised and made promises to them. And then he says, for the gifts and his call are irrevocable. Most of the Jews were enemies, were enemies to the gospel. You read through Acts and um, Paul is run out. The apostles are always met with opposition. Many are put in prison for their beliefs. Um, they're banned from teaching. But they're still set apart for the purpose of God. They're still God's people. The promises that God made to Abraham still apply to them. 
if the root is set apart, so are the branches. God keeps his promises. Uh, and God doesn't lose any that he's chosen. God finishes what he starts. God keeps his promises. We claim this promise as believers, don't we, in Philippians chapter 1, 6, being competent in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so God continues to pursue Israel just like he continues to pursue anyone who's has a disobedient, stubborn, unrepentant heart. In the gospel and grace, God is going to pursue you. And then the last verses here. Just, we're almost done. I can see that it's like this glaze going, man, is he ever going to be done? I'm, I know. It's a lot. Um, just as you, who are at one time disobedient to God, again, looking at verse um, 30, just as you who are at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, talking to the Gentiles and the Jews being disobedient, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Maybe I'll just read that from the message version. Let me read it this way. There was a time not, not so long ago when you were on the outs with God. But then the Jews slammed the door on him and things opened up for you. Now they are on the outs. But with the door held wide open, they have, have a way back in. In one way or another, God makes sure that we all experience what it means to be outside so that he can personally open the door and welcome us back in. All of us will experience being on the outside because we all are on the outside until the Lord Jesus Christ calls us and welcomes us in. And I think that supports what Paul has been saying throughout Romans. The Gentiles need mercy because of their godlessness. The Jews need mercy because of their self-righteousness. And the Lord is faithful to give mercy to all as he builds this body of Christ. Jews and Gentiles being grafted together into one body through faith in Jesus Christ. So, what do we learn? What can we learn? Here's, here's something that, that I learned when I was looking at this. Don't give up on hard people. I think we have a tendency to do that. I think it's easy to, to share the gospel with someone and they reject it and say, you know what, I'm done with you. Offer, offer the gospel and, well, they don't want to receive that and just to be done. We can develop, you know, this mindset that there's no way that those, those people will ever come to faith in Jesus Christ. And here's what I would say if you have that kind of attitude, and there are times where I have that attitude as well. Um, there are some people in my own life who are just like Israel, stubborn, obstinate, unrepentant. I don't want Jesus as my Messiah. I don't want any of that. And you know, I have a tendency to go, fine, just you know what, I'll just step back from that and I'm not going to pursue you anymore. 
here's what I would say, and, and maybe, you have ki- maybe you have kids that are that way. Maybe, maybe you, your parents have kids that are in that situation. Maybe you have a family member. Maybe it's a friend that you have. Do what Paul did. We saw, we saw in, these, in these chapters, these last two chap- three chapters, Paul prayed fervently. Paul never stopped praying for, for the Jews. He fervently prayed for them that, that they might be saved. So I, the first thing I would say, don't ever stop praying. Don't stop praying for stubborn, unrepentant, obstinate people. Second thing I would say to you is continue to, to preach passionately. Be passionate about the gospel. Be passionate about, about sharing the gospel. Even with those people that continue to reject you, don't stop. Keep sharing. Keep sharing it with them. You never know when or how someone, maybe a hairdresser, might come to faith in the Lord after you've been praying and sharing for 10 years. You don't know. And the third thing that I would say to you is, is to, to let live graciously. Let the grace of God be evident in how you live your life. Because we know that it's grace that is going to, it's the grace of God, it's the blessing of God that, that, that the Gentiles are experiencing. That is what's going to draw Israel's heart back to the Lord. They're going to be drawn by grace, just like you were attracted by grace. And so we come almost to the end of Romans chapter 11. Next week we'll, we will uh, finish Romans 11. And then um, we're going to take a break from Romans for at least a month. Um, and we're going to join the youth um, in a study um, called HeartWorks. And so we're going to kind of come together as a congregation and, uh, along with our students. And we're going to go through a series, a five-week series called HeartWorks. And um, you're going to be challenged. So fasten your pew belts. Um, there will be some challenging things that you will be asked to do, but but the goal is that we would empathize with the with the least of these. I think that's the goal, right, Amy? That's the goal of this of this heartworks. It's very missional. Um, so I want to encourage you. Don't miss don't miss a Sunday in July. Don't miss any Sunday, but don't miss don't miss next Sunday, and then don't miss any Sundays in July. And then just decide not to miss any Sundays for unless you have to go on vacation. But all right. Enough of that. Let me pray while the worship team comes. I've said way too much and thought the roast is burning. (laughs) Father, we just want to say thank you, God. Um, We thank you that unbelief, God, is not the end of the story. Lord, that you continue to pursue us. God, even when we were enemies with you, God, even when we were we would deny you or keep you at arm's length, God, or, or just push you off and say, I don't want you in my life. God, you would continue to pursue us. You would bring people into our lives, God, that would, would show us grace, that would show us, God, who you are and the joy that comes from knowing Jesus and, and from enjoying the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And God, that, um, that you would soften our hard hearts, God, so that we would see grace and want to experience grace and receive grace, God. Thank you that uh, unbelief is not the end of anyone's story, God. 
And so I pray, God, that as a congregation, Lord, we all have those people in our lives, God, that are, that are tough and who keep you at arm's length and who don't want you. God, that you would give us a heart to pursue passionately, to, to express the grace of God in how we serve them, God, and how we, how we live um, our lives before them, God, um, so that some might be won over uh, for the Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, that you give us this example of, of Israel. Lord, that you have not abandoned your promises to them. God, you will fulfill those promises. Lord, we, God, there's going to come a day, God, when we're going to be amazed, God, at, uh, and, and see what, what we're reading here. We're going to see it with our own eyes, God. And uh, Lord, we look forward to that time, God, when you will pour out your spirit, God. When old men will dream dreams and prophesy, and, and God, when, when amazing things are happening, God, because of your plans and because of the things that you've already put in place, God. We trust you, God. We know that you are sovereign, God, over all of our stories. You're sovereign over us, God. So we trust in your mercy. We rely. We depend upon it, God. Our lives depend upon you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Yeah.